Tiny flower of white, cicadas rise to flight, make the tree of life. We enjoy our own version of Afternoon Delight on this 43rd episode of Resurrection Revealed. Welcome back for another full discussion, fan feedback episode of the Resurrection Revealed podcast. We're a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network and sponsored by our Amazon affiliate links at resurrectionrevealed.com slash Amazon. And we want to welcome you in this new year for joining us for this in-depth discussion all about season two, episode 10, entitled Prophecy. And this is an unofficial podcast and blog by and for fans of ABC TV's Resurrection, recorded January 6th, 2015, and I'm at Wayne Henderson, and with this head cold, I'd better get some sleep later, or much like Lucille, I'll be useless tomorrow. And I am at Troy Heinrichs, hoping you feel better there, Mr. Henderson, but uh, who much like the law enforcement, I let strange folks in black hoodies roam around my neighborhood too. <laughs> that was kind of an odd part of the episode, but the rest was gold. Yes, very, very good. And the comeback from the break, I know we've been splitting up these uh, episodes here over the last couple of holidays, but we got four in a row right to the end. And let me tell you, if this is the start of the end, this was a pretty good start. Yes, they are firing on all cylinders. The imagery, the story, the characters, everything is happening. There's drama, there's great acting, and these next three episodes ought to be just fantastic as well. And of course, great listener feedback from all of you, the Reshead fan community. So anything you want to find out about this episode, you can get at our show notes page. You can head on over to resurrectionrevealed.com slash 43 for this week as we discuss prophecy in depth. And I always find it funny when we say in depth, because it's like it could be in death if you say it fast enough. <laughs> and if you know which character you're talking about, that very well could happen. Oh, Yes. And you did a great job on the initial thoughts episode the other night right after watching the episode. And you pointed out something I didn't even catch. The fact that the bar is called Twain's Bar. And you asked if there was possibly any Mark Twain connections in that area. And I didn't even notice it. So I can't think of any connections. But that's a good catch. Well, I figured Arcadia, Missouri on the map as it stands in real life isn't too far off of the Mississippi where most of Mark Twain's writings take place. Now, I have been quite removed i have to say from my time of reading like huck finn and tom sawyer and the such and i don't know how far down south those take place versus midwestern but i felt like twain's was chosen for a reason as part of this show and is that imagery of what mark twain was getting across in his books part of that imagery you might find in this town and so i was just curious if anybody had picked up on anything over the uh, first season or second season well, I tell you, as soon as you mentioned it, and then I watched the episode a second time, it did kind of have that feel. So I could see that that's tied to that part of the country, because I can't imagine them picking Twain's name for that bar by accident. No, and I mean, and that's really a, a clue, too. If, if you haven't had a chance yet to go back and listen to Aaron Zellman's interview that we did way back at the start of season one, Again, that's resurrectionrevealed.com slash Aaron if you want to check that out. And he made it a very clear point in that interview that he picked specifically to use Arcadia, Missouri as that border town between the north and the south and this kind of rivalry and, and that location of the country for a reason as he wrote this show because Arcadia was just a 
kind of small, fictional, if you want to call it, southern town in the book. So yeah. the fact that he's choosing this part of the country has to have some symbolism, uh, symbolism, and I wonder if that is exactly why Twain's was used as the bar name. Well, it definitely makes me add a little more uh, flavor and zest to this part of the country and really makes me feel like it's a great part of town. And and there's a lot of things that are good about this small town, but the more we watch this episode, Troy, there's a lot of things about this town that uh, really have your head scratching about all the craziness and how far back this whole thing with the returned goes. Yeah, and it's one of those questions. Like when we have, you know, we talk about Lost quite a bit and comparing things to Lost, but when we talk about Lost, it was how far back does the island mythology go? And even though we're talking about Arcadia, Jacob really brings up that great question this week of, did it all start in the 1930s? You know, could it have happened before then? And I don't know if that's really where Aaron, Michelle, and Tara are going to go with it this season or even this show in general. Maybe they're only focused on the Langston family portion of what this is all about. And I really got that feeling having this story with Margaret and Jacob kind of sharing the history of the town and the conversation she had with Fred and Henry that, you know, it's all about the Langstons. And I think that's really what they were trying to get across this week is this is about the Langston story. So anything else that's tied into the Langston story, much like in Lost, everything was tied into Jack. I think that's really what we're going to see if season three, four, five down the road progress. Right. Because the first thing I thought of when Jacob mentioned that about did it all start then around the 30s? It does seem to be, at least what we've been shown so far, as far as people actually returning, it seemed to have started in the 30s. But when we got that flood of returned at the end of last season, weren't there some people that were maybe even from the Civil War era that came back? Or was it mostly World War One and, and uh, upwards? I was thinking it was more World War One. I, I, I know in the credits, if you look at all of the cast that have been on the show on IMDb, they even have uh, you know Korean pilots, so that's obviously the Korean War most likely. So I think the earliest I would have pegged anybody from looking at their clothing or period pieces would have been maybe 1920. That maybe that first guy that sits down and is like, "Hey, what's that funny computer box like thing? And why are the roads <laughs> paved?" So maybe 1920 is the earliest we've seen somebody return, but maybe it, it is 1930 is where the focal point was, and is that when it all started? I think we're going to find out sometime in the next three weeks. And the real big question, when we think about the 30s and the Great Depression and things that were happening at that time, you know, the country was broken. The country was sick. And, you know, in, in that concept that the, the preacher man says, you know, the town is sick and we're here to heal it. it, it very interesting analogy when you think about all the relationships that are also sick and all the healing that needs to take place amongst those relationships. Yeah, this new character coming out of nowhere, Preacher James, um, it's way too early to tell whether we should trust this guy or not. At first, he seemed rather shady, you know, just wandering around after he took that guy's hoodie and, and was kind of just looking real suspicious. I'm surprised that they didn't talk to him a little bit further. And we're assuming that Preacher James was, A, number one, the guy kneeling that got struck by lightning, Yes. B, coming into Twain's with a uh, tree tattoo on his back. Yes. The hooded man walking down the road. Yes. And then, of course, talking to Bellamy there at the very symbolic crop circle in the shape of a moon in front of the tree. With a random flower growing out of it. 
everything else is all dead and charred and there's a flower growing. Yeah, I think it's definitely all preacher James, but, uh, and obviously he's back from the, around the thirties. He's got that kind of haircut to let us know that, but what he's up to and whether or not we can believe that he's there for good, I'm not sure. But the fact that it looks like when he was praying and he might've been praying for not Bell. Bellamy, he wasn't an agent back then, but he was the young boy I believe he was looking for, and he was praying and hit by that lightning. I think the lightning caused that tattoo-like resemblance of the tree on his back and all the branches, which is crazy in itself. But the fact that he he either died at that moment and then returned, or he lived through it, either way is is crazy. But that was some stunning imagery. Well, are you throwing theories out this early in the show already? <laughs> died by lightning and potentially returned. I, that that concept didn't even cross my mind. But I could be wrong there that maybe he just lived through the lightning strike and all he suffered was a ruined shirt and a new tattoo. And the tattoo is actually an interesting thing too. When you think about you know the lightning flash, is it really burned into his skin? Was it like a like a photograph, like a Polaroid? Did the flash, you know, the shadow of the tree then get cast onto his back? Could there be symbolism in how that actually appeared? that we could read into. It's another good question for the res heads to ponder. And again, you can head that over to resurrectionrevealed.com slash feedback to give your thoughts on how you think the tattoo appeared. When you think about Preacher James, what I, the one thing I really liked about the episode this week was that they brought in Jenny and made sure to do the reunification with her and, and Robert, AKA Bellamy, AKA yeah. Martin, Marty. Because of that, I think it was really great how they tied preacher James then into Jenny. So that way we could figure out where time period everybody came from. You know, we were talking about, you know, did Martin's parents come from the seventies? Did they come from the thirties? When did they actually die? And so now we have at least that route that everybody is back from this 1930s era, which of course lines up with Margaret's story and the fire at the factory. And I thought that was a really great job of how they tied in all those stories to give us that time frame of reference. I think it makes it a lot easier for the viewers to get a handle on the show to not have to think about too many time periods as far as the major points in Arcadia history. It's now and in the 30s. And then potentially 82 when Barbara and Mar- well, Margaret died a year earlier in 81 by basically the early 80s with Margaret's death, Barbara's death, and Jacob's death, because that could have potentially spawned the resurgence or the return of the returns. Oh, yeah, that's definitely another pivotal time point. Almost forgot about all that. (laughs) And the real question, then, if you think about it, is that 50 years, I'm doing math on a podcast, are are each of those events 50 years apart? I'm going to say... No, because no. it'd be 30 years, right? Because it was 32 years that his son disappeared. So not quite. Yes. But it'd be interesting if there's some kind of like bridge between, you know, when those event points happened. I'm sure Ray Mays would be able to help us out in the fan feedback section. <laughs> and if there's a time loop portal there about what years line up with which on some kind of cosmic calendar. Yeah. And if you take the thir- the 50s, I mean, the 50-year gap minus the 30-year gap, you got a 20-year Difference, So maybe something big is going to happen 20 years from now in Arcadia. Just throwing it out there. I'm not sure. <laughs> everybody dies and everybody returns 20 years later. That'd be a great season four, almost like a fringe in the future. 
I would love an alternate timeline uh, season. That It was so well done on Fringe that I would not be surprised. So let's talk about Grandma because we... Oh, man. This was a character introduced this season. We didn't know how she was going to be received, number one in the show, number two by the fan base. But Michelle Fairley is just a great actress in general with everything she's done. And the real big question I have is how important is her storyline to the mythology or is her storyline really just there to drive storyline? And what I mean by that is, is her involvement like the critical piece? Is she like the crux of everything because she was there in the thirties and she's back now and she was there at 82 when she died? Is she really the key versus Jacob being the key? Or is it really just you need her there to understand the Langston's play in all of this? What do you think? I think you just blew my mind. I I could see them going any one of those three ways. I mean, right now, she seems like the actual crux of the whole thing. And even though she's not a blood Langston, her story and how it affects everything, I think, is the all-important part of the story. So it's very important that she's there. But uh, you're right, Miss Fairley, great actress. I mean, twice this year, this past calendar year, she has played moms that just got viewers so up in arms and upset because she is not the mom of the year on Resurrection, and she was not the mom of the year on 24 earlier this year. Oh, no, definitely not. But what a great writing cast to be behind her then, you know, with Michelle Terra and the rest of the writer's room. Because in this one episode, you went from, okay, why did you kidnap Jacob to, holy crap, you had an arranged marriage, we feel sorry for you, to, holy crap, did you just say that to your sons? What kind of mom are you? To, okay, I get it, you're sorry, you're remorseful, and you're going to go to the center, which, what kind of havoc is she going to wreak at the, you know, bring to the center? That's my big question. Because if you're going to be on all those returned, she can be like, dude, just everybody, if you don't like living here, disappear. She definitely played a lot of different roles this evening as far as you did kind of feel bad for her when this with this whole arranged marriage thing. And just like four episodes ago, we were talking about the theory that she set up the whole arranged marriage because we could see her trying to get in. But now it looks like it's the exact opposite, that she didn't really want to do it. And she was just kind of a pawn in this whole story. And she's hated the Langston side of things ever since. Well, really, Grandpa Anderson was the pawn, right? Because he was the one that was doing whatever the Langstons told him to do as the foreman on the floor. That's true. And then he basically had to give up his daughter. So, I mean, how how sad for Grandpa Anderson. It'd be great if Grandpa Anderson returned because I'd love to hear his side of the story and the equation as to why he felt he was forced to do the Langston's bidding. That's a great point, Troy, because if he returned... He is going to be very, very upset with the whole thing that's happening. I mean, the fact that he was able, had to give up his daughter to the Langstons, he's not going to be happy with the Langstons either if we get a season three and his character happens to return. And then the big question we have is the fire itself in that varnish room, were they returned demons, if you will, for lack of something better, at that point, or was there some bigger conspiracy going on that they had to kill these men? And it was after that fire that they started returning. 
that's the one big thing of the show. I'm still not quite understanding the timeline as to how the fire at the furniture factory happened in the first place and why that it happened. That's true. The whole thing could have been a, a setup, like when they tried to stage the, what was in the news reports, a staged car or bus accident that killed them. I have a feeling it started with that fire. Like that was the first time they all died. Then they kept coming back after that. It may or may not matter in the end, but that's my vote. And was it set up or was it an accident? I mean, that was really the big question I have. I think it was a setup. It could be. I mean, if, even if it was an accident, then it, the setup comes after the fact, kind of like uh, another ABC show that comes on right after this, Revenge, where you know the, the truth happens, but then you have to spin it in such a way to protect the innocent. And maybe it was just that. It was an accident, but they couldn't get the insurance claim unless they spun it a certain way. And then that's when it became a cover-up. And then that's why everybody returned was to expose the cover-up. That's a good point. I could see them going that way as well. What do you think about the the scene with Jacob and Grandma and they're at that shed or whatever it was called that was out there in the middle of nowhere near the sawmill and the sound of the waterfalls was so prominent that they not only brought the sound into the show but made comment about how Margaret used to love listening to the sound of that waterfall. I think it's some sort of huge clue that like we've said all along, that water and maybe that particular stream of water is the fountain of this whole thing. Well, and that's something to bring up, too, about how the Thompsons died. Remember, because they were living at the sawmill or by the sawmill when the flood happened. And that's when apparently the preacher man tried to save Robert and then couldn't. And so the real question becomes is when did Robert die versus when did the preacher man die? Did they die in the flood together? Did Robert die downstream later because nobody found him? Did the preacher man die after Robert? So those are some of the questions I have coming up in the next three episodes that I hope either we resolve this season, if not potentially in a season three, if we get the renewal, because that's a lot of questions. All that timing and why and when people come back could be related to when and how and the situation in which they die, which is why you know Jacob came back before Barbara potentially or vice versa. That's true. That's true. And it just seems like everything keeps cycling around some of the same things over and over. Now, I'm wondering, does it mean anything in particular that both young Jacob and Agent Bellamy are both shown gently scratching the inside of their hands, kind of like a nervous OCD thing? And the fact that they put it back to back on the show this week means that we were meant to notice it. But I don't see any other tie in between the two of them. Why do you think that it's there and what do you think it might mean? I think they're trying to harken back to when we had the episode where Rachel was tied up by Gary in the cabin and Rachel was kind of fidgeting with her hands as they were bound. And then it switched to Jacob's hands doing kind of the same motion. And it was that connection again that the return to have with each other. So I think he was sensing Bellamy's nervousness at that time. And that's why they cut over to it right away again, was to show that connectedness that the return have with each other. Oh, that's right. I cannot believe that slipped my mind. And the fact that they haven't really touched on that as much this season like they did last season. Yeah, that's got to be what it is. And so they are definitely still connected. That may play into something in the finale coming up in a few weeks. And I was talking about the show with a friend of mine. It's really different television that we're seeing with resurrection it's why lost was so good 
because it was like every week you were like, where, what's going to happen next? What, where's this going to go? I, I just don't get what I'm watching, but I can't stop watching. And right. when you really take seasons of lost and put them onto its core, season one was a bunch of the, what the heck moments, right? Every <laughs> yes. single week it was like polar bear and cable in the water and okay. Bombs are exploding and other people are on the Island and all this crazy stuff. And then season two really did something where they delved into the characters more. It was a lot of the, okay, well, now we're all living in the hatch and it's Desmond and Jack and John. And how do we all get along now that it's been, you know, 40 plus days on the island? And then season three throws in the big twist at the end of season three, not to give it away for anybody that hasn't seen it. Let's just say that with that twist, I literally jumped off the couch. Yeah. Jumped off the couch, over the couch, ran around the room watch it like 600 times in a row just to yeah, make sure that's, that, Oh, you did the same thing as me <laughs> just to make sure he said what he said. And I, I look at resurrection and kind of have that same experience when we watch the show, you know, episode five of resurrection, when Marty picks up the bouncing ball off the ground from the kid who died that he was protecting, you know, and have that, Oh, that's the ball he's bouncing in the first episode. In the second episode that, you know, th- those connection points really tell you that there's a long-term plan in place for this show. And season one was really a bunch of those like only crap moments. And now I think season two is really giving us that background character development. You know, why and why is Fred and Barbara's relationship important? You know, why is Jacob's relationship with his parents important? What was the relationship between Henry and Lucille for these last 32 years? You know, we obviously got a, a culmination of that. And has Henry really been holding on to that guilt and that grudge this whole time, even though he doesn't say he was upset with her, clearly he was thinking about it. And I really hope that season three comes about because I think season three would be really that moment of the, you know, holy crap, we have to do something about this. And that would be where it would really flip the show on its head. I think that's how they're pacing it out. It'd be great to see if that comes true based on, all the shows we've been watching. I, I'd be really curious if season three gets greenlit. I really hope it does. Cause man, the acting and the writing are just so superb. Oh, I agree 100%. And that was a bombshell when Lucille and Henry were having their little discussion and Lucille kicks Henry out of the house for kind of hint- hinting that he's been secretly blaming Lucille for taking that nap and causing Jacob's death back in the eighties. And the thought never crossed my mind because at the beginning of season one, they just seemed like they were very much in love and relaxed to just sit around and knit and play crossword puzzles and what have you. But this is a whole different side of things. And I, I was, that came out of left field. I was totally stunned. Now, when you sit around though and play crossword puzzles and connect and things of that nature and knit and read the paper, is it really a healthy relationship or is it just, you know, two roommates living together out of convenience and because we've been together this long, no one else is going to put up with our crap kind of thing. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. Some marriages, some people are content with that. You know, some marriages need a little bit more yeah. spice, but. But I, I think once they lost Jacob, they, you know, it definitely affected them both. But uh, I, were, were you surprised? I mean, that Henry got kicked out and actually left. Well, I mean, there was some tension between the two of them in the first season with the, why can't you accept him as your son? And, why can you accept him as your son? And true, and that kind of back and forth, and even early on in the in the first parts of this season, with the you know tension with you know mom coming to live with them, and 
Oh you man. know, I mean, if you're yes. the if you're the uh, in law, you know, living with the son or daughter in law in the house, I mean, that's just that's nerve wracking. Lucille did not waste any time now that she thinks that uh, her mother in law's gone. She's going to put the kitchen back the way it that's was. That's right. <laughs> not stop. Not even just just start doing it. Like and you and, and you could tell something was wrong with her. Like even even though she was upset about everything being in the wrong place, there was something underlying and Henry could sense it too. And that's why he started poking and prodding and opening up that wound. You know, a lot of people really said that this was kind of a plot point. It was kind of out of left field because their relationship seemed so healthy. I don't think their relationship was all that healthy the entire show. It may have looked like it on the surface, but deep down there was stuff there. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. The more you think about all the little things along the lines, it just took this one last thing to push him over the edge. But, you know, Margaret Langston, one thing, I mean, she said a lot of terrible things in this episode, but it especially disturbed me and thought I thought she was quite out of line when she was telling young Jacob that the Langston family is cursed. Don't you think that's a bit much to tell such a young child that she thinks the family's cursed? Well, the kids technically come back from the dead, so there's nothing you can really, you know, keep away from him at this point. Well, there's he's, that. He's, he still but. acts like a child. I mean, he said he's scared for his parents. He doesn't you know, want to bring any harm to anybody. You know, he got freaked out by a nightmare while he was sleeping and he couldn't sleep. So he's a kid at heart, but at the same time, he's got to be sensing other people, sensing other thoughts. He could feel Caleb and what Caleb was doing. and That was creepy. I mean, all of that has to nerve wrack the heck out of your brain, but at the same time, you're only given as much as you can handle uh, if you think about the longer spiritual aspect of it. And so does that really play into Jacob's aura and who he is? And are we supposed to look at Jacob as something more than a kid? Or are we supposed to take it at face value that at the end of the day, he's just an eight-year-old boy? Yeah, I I think he is just an eight-year-old boy. I mean, at least that's how I look at it. When she says these things, and then she's told him such terrible bedtime stories about quote unquote demons back in the thirties that they kept killing. I'm like, Oh my goodness, grandma, stop it. <laughs> now let's discuss that we've been leading up to it and tiptoeing around it. Let's discuss the scene of the night. Bellamy cicada swarms going up in tree symbolism, the crescent moon birthmark inspired burned grass area. You touched on earlier all of these things happened in like 90 seconds, and it was like, wow. Yeah, and the one thing that I keep coming back to is the birthmark on his neck. You know, the, Jenny says, can I see it to like remind the audience, hey, it's there, which hopefully rings true when you see it actually burned into the grass. But I thought there's like two little dots also with that burn mark, and I didn't know if those two dots represent Bellamy and Preacher James or the flower and there needs to be a second flower to grow in that spot in order for the town to be healed. So I'm curious more on the two dots than the moon. Now that we've seen where the moon is in the ground. Hmm. I did notice the two dots. I thought they were so small and insignificant that they might be there just as a little bit of embellishment to show that, you know, this is kind of a birthmark and these other things are around it. I'm, I'm not sure if those mean something, but if so, Full props to you, Sir Troy. Just something I picked up on. Like you said, it could be just two dots to make it look like, oh, it's not really a half moon. It just looks like a half moon. But it was clearly a moon in the grass. (laughs) How blown away were you when you saw the cicada swarm come come right up out of the ground? 
Well, I mean, when the first one kind of started poking itself out and he's got his ear to the ground, it, we, I've seen that happen, you know, when you get the seven-year swarm kind of thing. Not as many as came out at once, but at least one or two coming out, and you're like, oh, man, that's kind of creepy looking. And it, it certainly was creepy looking, and then all of a sudden to have the whole ground explode and then fly up and immediately become the image of the tree, like, that was unexpected. Like, that literally had me do, like, one of those, like, fall out of my chair kind of moments because it startled me enough. And then to find out it was just a, hey, you saw the vision too, didn't you? I was like, well, crap. <laughs> I thought it was real. Well, maybe it was real. And I, I don't know. And the fact that they both saw it, but then it disappeared so quickly. And one thing is for sure, this particular tree is all important. I mean, how many different ways and scenes have we seen that have involved that same tree? Well, and that's the big question I have, because every time they showed the tree, it's always been from a different angle. So if you remember back to season one, you had Tom and Rachel going out to this tree. Right. Is that the same tree? I think so. Then you have Margaret and talking about the tree as the hanging tree for where they got rid of the demons. And then here you have this tree again, but in a completely different shot again. So is it the same tree in all three situations? That's a big question I'd like to find out. Hmm. That would be odd. I didn't even think of the possibility that it might be just another big tree in town. I, I'm fully behind with my vote that it is the same tree, which of course the water is all important and the tree seems very important. Of course you need water to grow a tree. I think somehow it's all tied together and the whole cicada thing with their imagery, it gives you so many things to think about. Right. We die, we leave our shell behind. Right. Yeah. But yet we still come back, you know, in another life form of some kind. So is it a reincarnation story more than it is, a rebirth or a reimagination or yeah, really good, a lot of questions you can come out with those cicadas. Cause this is not the what third or fourth time we've seen them now in the show. So clearly important symbolism with them. Well, especially in the big finale of season one, when there was like thousands of them all over the road and all over the ground and everywhere, that was just insane. Now, before we go on, I want to throw out a quick public service announcement, please. Do not watch the ABC promos for the upcoming episode after you finish the episode of Resurrection. Reach for your remote, press stop, or change the channel as soon as you can because whoever's behind these ABC promos needs to stop. Yeah, it was a little bit shocking for the information huh? that they gave out. Oh, we're it's not like, going to talk about it here, but other than to say it was shocking that it was even in the promo. Yeah, marketing department, doing your job, doing what you have to do to get people to come back next week, and we appreciate it because we need all the ratings we can get, which... It's, it was up this past week in the ratings, which is good. So we're in that upward trend, which is really, really good because we need to make sure we get enough people to watch it these next three weeks. Right. To really want that season three to come back. But don't spoil the entire upcoming episode. Oh, yeah. The big plot points. You got to leave those out. I'd be like seeing at the end of Star Wars Episode Four a trailer for the upcoming sequel with, you know, Darth Vader saying, Luke, I am your father. It's like, oh, thanks for that. Yeah. Hmm. It'd be like the end of the uh, trailer at the end of episode three going, hey, this girl over here, that's Princess Leia. <laughs> yes. Oh, so anyways, that's my public service announcement. Don't watch the promos. Change the channel. Hit stop on your DVR. I was not fast enough. It's been, it was a great episode. I mean, I really am curious how they're going to wrap up what they need to wrap up to have a satisfactory conclusion to the season two elements. 
because obviously we have to put a bow tie on season two. Don't necessarily have to put a bow tie on the series. Well, and remember, bow ties are cool. Right. But we do have to like, you know, why is Margaret there? What's Margaret's purpose? What's Margaret's addition? Why was she there? Why was the Addison family brought into the picture? Why 1930? Why is Rachel dreaming about the fire when she wasn't there because she wasn't born back in the 1930s? What about Rachel's baby and how's that all going to play out? And now with only three episodes left for this season, they bring in Preacher James from the 30s. Well, one preacher dies, another preacher comes back to life, I suppose. And then the question is, is Tom, will Tom come back and will there be a, a holy war? Oh my, that's something to think about. And then, of course, will Janine actually wake up from her kitchen floor with a tea kettle wound in her head? <laughs> These questions and more may or may not be answered in the next three episodes of Resurrection. Let's go into our ratings for this episode. I yield the floor to you, Mr. Wayne. All right. I love this episode. I'm going to give it nine out of 10 lightning tattoo markings of familiar trees. The question is, do you need 1.21 gigawatts of electricity in order to make a lightning tattoo? That was quite a lightning uh, shock, and it was a beautiful piece of artwork. So I would not be surprised if you did need that much power. Kudos to the effects department. That storm looked pretty, pretty gnarly. And it went on a long time, and it was noisy. Yeah. How about you? I said eight out of ten. Eight out of ten places to store a flashlight. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Couldn't find it where it's supposed to be, so it has to be somewhere else, right? Oh, okay. I thought you were referencing when uh, they set it upright during the storm, pointing straight up with the rain bouncing off of the uh, lit bulb area. I thought that was very cool looking. That was a cool looking scene, too. There was a lot of good stuff this week. And the only reason I gave it an eight out of ten is because we talked about... um, you know, the really good attention to detail they did with the deadbolt locks uh, at uh, yes. Janine's place and how they turned them around so she was truly locked in. But then uh, I think it was Iontrone on Twitter uh, mentioned the same thing that I saw, which was the fact that in the story, Lucille was mentioning that she was getting a master's in biology, and yet the book on the bed when she fell asleep was intro to biology. Hmm. So I don't know if oops. that was just a, an oopsie moment there. So I, you know, after the deadbolts and then doing that, I was like, oh, man, come on. Or if she was just one of those students that saves every textbook she spends a fortune of money on and was reviewing even the stuff at the beginning just in case it was in the finals. So there you go. They need to hire you as their PR person <laughs> to put the spin on everything, Mr. Wayne. Oh, just call me the spin doctor. Yeah, that and then, of course, just the the randomness of Preacher James throughout the episode and how kind of oblivious people were to him and the fact that Elaine recognizing that he was different and then not going after him or at least calling her dad and saying, hey, this creepy guy with a tattoo just came to my bar. Yeah, I know. It's a small enough town that they know most anybody and nobody else is really, quote unquote, returned in a while. Hey, that's the only reason I brought the episode down from a 10 to a 9. Yeah, the hooded walk on the road with the sheriff and Bellamy, the two main guys. And they're just like, yeah, whatever. He's just out for his morning jog. Yeah, that was just kind of strange. All in all, still really good. I'm excited to see where it's going to go. But of course, this podcast is all about you guys, the fans. And we will talk with all of you and our Res Head listener voicemail line coming up right after this. All right, well, let's kick it off this evening right away with the Res Head listener voicemail line. Again, you can call us at plus one nine zero four four six nine seven four six nine. 
And our first call this week comes from Neil in Bowie. Hello, this is Neil from Bowie calling into Resurrection Revealed about Resurrection Season 2, Episode 10, Prophecy. Uh, there was not much prophecy that we actually heard in the episode, though I'm sure that the resurrected preacher James must be following some prophecy, and he believes that Bellamy is very important. When he says at the beginning of the episode, I gotta find that boy, we first believe that it may be Jacob, since everybody's looking for Jacob, but by the end of the episode, it very well may be Bellamy, that is the important boy that uh, James is looking for. This seems to be made more clear by the scorched crescent moon in the ground that matches Bellamy's birthmark, and then the preacher's words to Bellamy, together we will heal Arcadia. I think that Grandma Langston has a good deal of self-loathing and disgust at what she and her family have done. She cannot really hate her children, but some of her self-loathing is rubbing off there. Jenny coming to live with Bellamy is a pleasant surprise. I'm not sure how he was able to pull that off, but it's good to see, and especially the interactions with Maggie. There were great tree and lightning imagery during the episode, and I'm looking forward to the next episode of Resurrection. That's all. Neil, thank you so very much for sending that in. We greatly appreciate your feedback. And you bring up an excellent point right at the beginning. The episode was entitled Prophecy, and I, too, did not see much prophesying going on in this episode. Well, I think the prophecy comes back to the preacher James and Robert and the fact that they have to work together to save the town. I think that is the prophecy that they are lining up and putting forward for us to follow over the next four episodes. What do you suppose they might do that will, quote-unquote, save the town? Well, if you go back to Janine saying that prayer from Isaiah, that Bible verse, over the baby, you know, that the, the, the nice animals will sleep with the bad animals and hang out and that the Messiah will save them all, you know, maybe the baby is what's going to bring the town and heal the town, or it could be the other way, like most other kind of sci-fi shows, where the baby becomes more demonic. And maybe they have to take care of the baby before the baby's born. I don't know. Mm, I I actually, it's been so long since we've had an episode. I know it's only a few weeks, but it seems like forever with the holidays mixed in and all that, that I totally forgot about the baby. <laughs> a baby is important. They said so at Comic-Con. Oh, we, we know it's important. I just forgot about it because I haven't seen it in a while and it wasn't in this week's episode. You know, and, and the other thing that, I, I totally forgot about when you think about continuity, when they said that Jacob was missing and how Maggie immediately said, let's go check his blood. So I'm, I'm glad that they introduced the blood concept in season one. And then they've done that a couple times now with Arthur Holmes and they kind of use that as their gauge to find out if someone's still stuck around. I'm surprised they actually thought of that part so quickly, but I think the fact that they pointed that out to us as well as a few other characters on the show, that that's going to come into play again sometime in the next three weeks. So remember that. I will. And then Jenny, you know, coming back and Bellamy claiming her as family, which I think was the agreement. So if someone can claim you, you can stay with them. But wouldn't it raise suspicion? Because when Bellamy was at the facility originally, when he was sick, and Angela was like, well, obviously I can't let you go see her because you're sick and you'll affect everybody because everybody here is healthy. If he was still sick, why would they release Jenny to Bellamy. That was the thing that was kind of a scratch in my head going, is the government, did they put a tracker on her? Did they do something else? Because we already have this rift between Angela and her superior since Angela apparently, allegedly, gave the medicine and the amniotic fluid. Hmm, that's a great point. That I was looking at it more of, if it was so easy for him to get her, 
released to him. Why didn't he do that before? But I think you bring up an excellent point that due to him being ill and for a while there looking like he's not going to be around very long, they wouldn't want to release her to somebody who's going to be dead in a day. But that is kind of a head scratcher. And then people were confused with the episode with uh, Sheriff Fred and Margaret because they were waiting for the transport to come pick her up and take her back to the facility. And then Fred was, you know, I got this cabin. You can just stay there. And, you know, we assume he meant like disappear quietly at the cabin by your own. And then they have this argument and then she gets back in the truck. So people were assuming that getting back in the truck meant I'm willing to go to the cabin I say she just got back in the truck because she wanted the air conditioning and was still waiting for the transport because the transport hadn't showed up yet. So the real question is, Is was the deliberate lit, deliberateness, is that a word? I guess was, so. <laughs> was it deliberate that they didn't actually show the transport pulling up to leave that kind of vague? I don't know. Yeah, I think it was quite convenient that it took it a while to get there, which makes sense. It's a ways away. And then they could kind of talk things out and kind of change their mind. Okay, well, then we have a great uh, email here from Ray Mays. Ray Mays says, Prophecy gets a 9.0 from this res head. Francis and Kurtwood are my picks for the actors of the week. Aside from Preacher James and the tree scene, this was sort of an episode used to remind viewers what had happened in the past episodes, although I still really enjoyed it. And I kind of agree with Ray. That's that's where my 8 rating kind of came in. It was like the, hey, we've been gone for a while. Here's the refresher. Catch you up. And set up the, uh, the the upcoming episodes. He goes on, Preacher James is sort of a false prophet from the 1930s. He's just another returned. His knowledge of what is going on in Arcadia is based on the past. When he was asking, where is the boy? Preacher James was referring to Robert or Marty. And I thought this was another really good uh, option from the show that they kind of just said, hey, I'm looking for a bo- the boy. Kind of like Caleb did in season one. Hey, I'm looking for the boy. And the question is, is was, you know, I'm looking for my, my, my son, my kid, you know, and then he ended up finding, you know, Elaine and, and uh, Ray. So I like, I like that they keep using this imagery of I'm looking for a child and then it doesn't end up being Jacob at all. It ends up being somebody else. I thought that was kind of interesting. So good, good call out there, Mr. Ray Mays. Yeah, that was a very well done scene because they had me hooked at the beginning too. Now, Grandma's true feelings about her sons didn't surprise me. I got that from the past episodes. She expressed her feelings to Fred earlier and was using Henry to get control of things. I believe that Fred and Lucille have been through so much that they'll always be able to work things out. The imagery in the episode was really awesome. I think that the open field is where the old Arcadia was located and was destroyed in the flood. The tree and the cicadas are the sign of the old or the past life, and the flower is the new or present life, and the tree shape of the cicada swarm is a sign of the same or duplicates in an alternate dimension. There's your alternate dimension from Ray this week. (laughs) Uh, Bellamy getting custody of his sister shows me what the true government position on the returned is. To the government, the returned aren't human. And that's the only thing in Ray's comments this week that I am trying to figure out what he meant by that. We'll have to maybe shut him out on Twitter or something. So, hey, if you're listening, Ray, uh, can you expand a little bit more on the why you think the government assume the returned aren't human? I would assume that the government giving Jenny back to Bellamy means that they are human and they understand the meaning of family and why family is important. But that could be just me. Hmm. And I'm I'm not positive which way uh, Ray's looking at it there, but I do get the impression 
that his statement might be more correct that the government after doing tests or whatever, they think for whatever reason that the returned aren't quote unquote really human. So why not release her unless they're using her as some sort of, uh, like you said, a tracking device. But it's interesting that that pastor knows her so well, they even do like a little pinky handshake him and the girl. And I'm like, was he in that facility too? Or does he just know her from before the flood? And that's all. That's really good. I, I didn't pick up on that either. I assume they knew each other from the thirties and it didn't even occur to me that maybe they did meet in the facility. I'm wondering if he was in the facility and escaped. I mean, he just has something creepy about him. Yeah. When did he show up? When did he return? Clearly he's a returned, but the question is when and how, and how long has he been there? Has he been in the shadows the whole time? Nothing would surprise me on resurrection, but Ray, thank you so much for your emails. A lot of thought provoking stuff. I love all of it. And reminding us again about the uh, imagery, possibly leading us to duplicates or an alternate dimension. Uh, Ray is definitely on to some things here. Well, no iTunes reviews this week. So I think we will go ahead and just say we are excited to see where this goes. Again, if you really, 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 really want a season three, get everybody you know to watch these next three episodes. We got to get the ratings to peak up a little bit just so ABC can see what's going on. And my hope is that maybe next year that they pair up Resurrection and the ABC show Forever, since ABC gave Forever a full season order of episodes, because the two of these shows together, I think would be a great two-hour block. Mm, I could see them really playing off each other really well. That would be cool. Well, with that, we'll close up shop for this week. Again, resurrectionrevealed.com slash feedback. If you have any other comments or suggestions that you'd like to send in, or go ahead and just comment on the show notes for this episode over at resurrectionrevealed.com slash 43. And just a reminder, the Resurrection Revealed is not affiliated with ABC Television or Plan B. We are an unofficial podcast. We do have costs to keep everything rolling with the website, the MP3s, and all that good stuff. So if you'd consider supporting our fan podcast in a couple of ways, you can do all of your Amazon shopping through the affiliate link at resurrectionrevealed.com slash Amazon. All the prices are the same, uh, the shipping, everything, the guarantees, all the same as if you went direct to Amazon. But if you went to resurrectionrevealed.com slash Amazon through our affiliate link, we get a small percentage back of any purchases you make at Amazon, and it really helps out the show. You can also even donate directly to the show. Heck, you can even go that route. You can make Resurrection Revealed even better going forward. You can donate once, any amount you like, or sign up for ongoing monthly donation amounts. Just go to resurrectionrevealed.com. You'll see the details there. And, of course, keep connected with us. As Larry King always tells you, you can follow us on Twitter. At Resurrection Pod. And be sure to follow our personal accounts as well. You can follow Wayne at Wayne Henderson. And me, I am at Troy Heinrichs. But lastly, leave a review for us. Even if you listen elsewhere, you can head on over to resurrectionrevealed.com slash iTunes. Drop us a note. Let us know what you love and which of the res heads you love and their theories. It really helps deliver you the best content and the best answers that we could possibly come up with to keep the show interesting and exciting for all of you, the fans. But most importantly, subscribe to the feed. Do not miss an episode. Head on over to iTunes. You can do that at slash iTunes or slash Stitcher slash TuneIn slash iHeart. Wherever you can listen to the show, I am sure we are there. You can get all those links over at the website at resurrectionrevealed.com. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to spend it listening to our show. From all of us here at Noodle Mix Network, I am at Troy Heinrichs. 
And I'm Wayne Henderson. No matter what storms may hit, just bundle up, stay warm, stay safe, and get some sleep. And we'll see you next time on Resurrection Revealed. Resurrection Revealed is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Especially the Once Podcast. If you're already watching Resurrection, you should be watching Once Upon a Time right before it at 8 Eastern and Pacific, 7 Central, and then listen to Once, the unofficial podcast and blog and forum with theories and talk about ABC's Once Upon a Time. All this and a bunch more of great content is waiting for you all over at noodle.mx.